the big leagues When you make a perfect slide in the big leagues When you keep the team alive in the big leagues When you block a shot or two in the big leagues you're in the Big League Chew. Big League Chew, man-sized wads of great-tasting shredded bubble gum stuffed into a giant Stay Fresh pouch. For Big League flavor and Big League bubbles, it's Big League Chew. You're in the Big Leagues, but you're in the Big League Chew. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. If you're a veteran, you're struggling, or feel like you're leading a path towards the darkness, stop and think about those who are around you. Think about how they truly value you, how they will miss you. You are not alone. You need to talk to someone. Someone will listen to you. If you feel like you will be a burden to someone, or you're embarrassed to talk to your inner circle, your family, or friends, Pick up that phone call to the, the hotline at 988 and take option one. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to our show and your favorite podcast apps. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. It's the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe, click the bell. This will keep you up to date with our latest news, episodes, and of course, the stories of our guests. Speaking of which... Our next guest co-founded one of the most awarded ad agencies on Madison Avenue. Selected one of Mad Ab's 12 best by New York Ad Club. He was invited to write for Ad Week and speak at venues like the World Business Academy and the Yale Entrepreneur Institute. And for his breakthrough public service work, he was honored at the White House. So without further ado, let's welcome John Paulus to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, John. How are you doing? Great, great, great to have you here, and uh, I'm glad that we're able to link in, uh, even though we're probably about four inches away on the map, but we're right here next to each other here on this beautiful stream yard, so thanks for doing this for us. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, John, if you don't mind, uh, if you want to give a little more uh, beef to your bio than what I just did, go as far back as you want to go and bring us to where we are today. Well, um, sure. You know, um, I was very fortunate to have a successful career in advertising. I'm at, I'm at the point now where I'm kind of doing whatever I want to do. So it's nice to uh, be on a podcast and do some reflection and maybe even share something that might give other people some hope or inspiration because uh, to get to the point uh, to achieve the things that you just described in that introduction was not easy. Um, one thing you did not mention in that introduction was that the first advertising course that I took in college after deciding to go into advertising as a major, uh, I did so poorly in the class that I was told by the instructor to drop the class or he would basically flunk me. Wow. Which is not, not the thing you want to hear when you, a month after you've just decided that advertising is going to be your future career and the first course you take, you do so poorly in it that the, the instructor, who is not just some um, flunky advertising instructor, but an actual advertising guy from New York City who is teaching the class, tells you you suck. It's hard not to take that seriously. So uh, that was the first um, harsh rejection 
I got, but they would be um, they would be more to come very quickly after that, because uh, I think it was my second job in the business. I got fired. Uh, third job, I did OK. The fourth job, I got fired. The fifth job, I got fired. And the sixth job, I got fired. Wow. So I got fired four four times in the first eight years in the business, which is not a very auspicious start to um, ultimately achieve the things you just mentioned in that introduction. And I remember very clearly, Rich, uh, after being fired that fourth time, sitting at night in my one bedroom New York City apartment, uh, trying to figure out what I should do uh, for the future of my career and whether or not I should still consider advertising as a career I should pursue. And uh, I had talked to a number of recruiters trying to get advice about getting interviewed at different agencies. And I got to the point where even the recruiters were not that interested in talking to me. Uh, because once you've gotten fired a couple of times, never mind four times, they, they tend to be a little bit cooler uh, when they're, when they're uh, talking to you. Um, because they, I think they, they look at you as uh, tainted property, right? And so um, I found myself with uh, not a whole lot of choices. I had to get work. I was paying New York City rent. So if you remember, uh, if you're old enough to remember this th thing called the phone book, <laughs> I, I pulled out a phone book and started looking at the advertising agencies in New York and the next day I started with the A's and picking up the phone and cold calling the agencies in New York City. And at, I started at nine o'clock in the morning and finished about six o'clock at night and kept a tally of all the calls I made. And uh, at the end of the day, I realized I had made 106 phone calls that day and managed to get myself out of that 106 phone calls, 103 rejections, which meant I got three meetings. And that was what seemed like the low point in my career ended up being the turning point in, in my career because about five years later from that, that point, I was had my name first on the door of one of the most award-winning agencies in New York City and was selected by the Advertising Club of New York as one of the 12 best advertising guys, as you mentioned in the intro. And uh, it was right around that time I got a letter in the mail with a return address being the White House, which I thought was a pretty clever promotion uh, gimmick that someone was trying to do with me <laughs> until I opened it up and saw the embossed gold lettering and realized it was actual an actual invitation from the first lady who at that time was Barbara Bush. This is when uh, George Bush the first was president. And it was uh, referencing a public service TV campaign that our agency did that I had spearheaded that dealt with the issue of child abuse that was running uh, on national TV. Uh, 
And this was about probably a month or two after the campaign finished uh, that I received this invitation. And it was uh, an, an invitation to a White House reception acknowledging me and a few other people from around the country for doing something that uh, apparently uh, people at the White House thought was important enough to be acknowledged at this White House reception. So again, that was about five years, which isn't a very long time after finding myself alone at night in that apartment, after being fired the fourth time and making 106 phone calls going through the phone book because I was so desperate to try to get a job interview. Wow. And uh, we talk about resilience on this show a lot. And uh, how many times you get up is uh, what you should be judged by in life. It's not how many times you fall. It's how many times you get up. You got fired four times in eight years. You're paying New York rent. And if anyone doesn't understand what New York rent is, uh, take normal rent and times it by 10 to 20 for a studio apartment maybe even by a hundred and then you might be in the ballpark for a studio apartment in New York. And that depends on where it is and what the low, what the view from it is at that point, because right. you pay more for view. Uh, and then cold calling 106 people, 106 agencies getting pushed away by 103, but getting knocked three, three actual uh, callbacks or a chance to get in the door and then right. work, working your tail off for five years after that to a higher point. And that's, that's outstanding. That's resilience right there. Yep. Yeah, but you know, you talk your your show is labeled a misfit nation. So, uh, I I have to tell you, I I you know, when you get fired once, you start scratching your head, and you get fired a second time, and after four times, you really do start believing maybe you are a misfit <laughs> for the career that you've chosen, especially uh, when your first advertising instructor uh, tells you 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 chose the wrong career, you know, back in college. So um, I was, uh, you know, I, I definitely qualify as uh, someone who uh, is probably a good fit for this, uh, this podcast because uh, I certainly did feel like a misfit for the first uh, seven years of my career, eight years. Definitely. And, and the path that you were, the road you were climbing, uh, it's like a roller coaster in, out, in, out, in, in one agency, out. And, and it's like the, they had these check marks to either keep you or leave or get you out of there as quick as possible. So you wouldn't move up. And I think a lot of uh, agencies at that time would do that to people. If they were perceived as sort of a threat or they had creativity on there, they would push you aside and try to do anything they can to get rid of you. And I think kind of that's what happened to you. Well, based on where you wound up. <laughs> that's really interesting. That's a very insightful comment. I don't know how you thought about that, but um, I mean, I don't mean to sound arrogant by agreeing with you on that, but um, that's 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 a very keen insight. I'm surprised you you would even suggest because I do believe that maybe not in all four of those cases, but certainly in a, in, in one or two of them. Um, listen, the the advertising business is kind of like Survivor, that TV show Survivor, and oftentimes uh, the um, the creative director at the agency will have uh, two, sometimes three teams competing against each other on the same assignment. And if someone could do something to get you out of the way, uh, you know, stabbing you in the back is not um, uh, out of the question if they get a good shot at it. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I, I did not, I did not uh, have a skill for office politics. 
And you cannot survive in that environment, no matter how talented you are, if you don't also uh, have an acumen for that that political uh, chess game that goes on in that situation. Definitely, you have to be able, in order to survive. Like you said, you have to be able to play both sides of defense, to be the hard worker, and also be able to play the political game in the office. The office political game is a lot. There's a lot more uh, knife fighting than it is at the higher level of politics, but the office political game, you can get killed or voted off the island a lot quicker. That's true. How did you, I mean, where did you get the insight to make that comment? Because uh, your background is a military. So uh, uh, prior to that, I studied marketing right there in New York city at Berkeley school. And are you kidding? No. <laughs> and then at St. Peter's college across the river. So I, I kind of knew a little bit about that, uh, that Avenue of uh, business, and uh, I kind of steered away from it and went in the military. So you 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 lived and and studied in New York City. I lived in Jersey City and trained over every day. I took the path train over. No kidding. What yes, year sir. was that? What year was uh, that? Eighty eight uh, to eighty nine. And what school did you go to? Berkeley on uh, East Forty Third Street. Not familiar with that. It's right down the block from the the library, the New York City Library. Okay, and yeah. you studied marketing. Yes. Interesting. Okay. So you know what New York is like. Oh, yeah. I grew up right across the river my whole and, and 23 years of my life were in Jersey. So I go over all the time. Oh, I thought you were a Tennessee guy or a Kentucky yeah. guy. That's where I am now. Yes. I, I've retired here. Okay. All right. So you're a, you're a, you're a city guy, basically. Yes. <laughs> okay. It lives in the country now. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, so you, you you have a taste of the big big city, yes sir. Uh, we we go up all the time to visit my dad still, so we still go up there and visit and and run away real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so with all the I guess all the the setbacks or getting fired and stuff, you had to have some intestinal fortitude. Like I said earlier about resilience, did that come from your family background or it was just you figuring out along the way to just, I got to toughen, I got to be the tougher one to keep moving forward. Yeah. I, I was fortunate rich in that um, my dad was a big supporter of mine and uh, he was in his own business. He was in the insurance business and either because of that or despite that um, he he always was my champion. So um, listen, when I flunked my first advertising class and he was paying the bill for, you know, tuition at Syracuse University, uh, he could have said, you know, what the F is going on. But, uh, you know, he he knew that I was a hard worker and a dedicated, committed uh, student and, you know, wasn't screwing around. So uh, if it didn't work out in that class, I think he he trusted the fact that it wasn't because I was a screw up. And he said, well, you know, just, you know, figure out what you want to do and try it again with, you know, whatever. He was just always very supportive and uh, has uh, had always been throughout my career uh, and throughout all the challenges I faced during my career. And, and, and um, you can't put a price on that, you know, when you have someone like a father who is. Uh, can be uh, a sounding board when you need someone to listen to you. And also that always definitely helps. Uh, my dad's always been like that for us, all, all of us in our family. He always looked at the the good side of things. He he knew that you'd have setbacks in life, but he always told you to find the good and, and look and keep leaning forward and find the light. And that's where we all kind of uh, got our path from, from right from our dad as well. 
Sure. And I'm sure your, your dad helped you out along the way and that made you what you are now. And uh, when you got that success, did you feel like, Oh, the weight's off my shoulders now. And I can yell at the, I can yell off the top of the empire state building. You know, um, the irony of it is that, um, I, um, I started out after getting fired, I started out doing smaller projects for smaller agencies, doing freelance work. So I really wasn't there long enough to be fired. You come in, you kind of, uh, you're a hired gun. Uh, it could be two days, two weeks or two months, but they have you there because you're, you're solving a problem. And if you do a good, good job, they keep you longer. So it's much less about the personalities than your, your abilities. And, through, as a result of um, having some success with that, I got a call out of the blue from a um, very, very aggressive Manhattan born and bred uh, advertise, uh, business guy. It, he was, his, expertise, or his expertise was business development. He was an agency guy. But um, he, uh, he was referred to me. He had seen some of the work that I had done. And uh, we, he decided he wanted to meet me. Uh, to talk about possible collaboration. And 20 minutes after meeting him for a beer, he suggested that we should start an agency together, which on one hand was kind of flattering. On the other hand, it was a little bit bizarre that I had only known this guy for 20 minutes. And he seemed convinced that um, we should start an agency. And we ended up doing that. Uh, the problem was... Um, I, I could never um, lower my guard with him because very early on he did a few things that made, gave me good reason not to trust him. And I was very hesitant to go into business with him. Um, but we picked up a, a pretty big account uh, that really enabled us to officially put up uh, a mantle and, officially open up as an agency, but throughout that whole partnership, um, I, you know, I, I thought I was kind of out of the woods when I was no longer working in that politi political environment with those big agencies, but to have a business partner that you can't really totally trust uh, and you don't really feel has your back or your best interest in mind um, kept me awake at night. So the irony was that despite all the kudos I was receiving now as uh, having my name first on the door, this, uh, this hot, new, creative, award-winning ad agency, I, I, I could never relax. I could never uh, feel the way you, you know, asked me if I felt that I could just uh, feel like I had succeeded because I always felt that it there was a ticking time bomb going on in our agency. And at some point um, it might explode. And how would I deal with that? So um, it did explode at a certain point. Um, I finally had to f hire an attorney because uh, he was breaching our contract. Uh, he didn't want to discuss it. The last thing I wanted to do was get attorneys involved. Um, and I kept suggesting that we'd talk about it over a beer. But when someone doesn't want to sit down with you and talk about things like that over a beer or feel like they have to reckon with you, um, 
I, you know, I think, uh, I never, I think he never thought I, I had the balls or the, um, what can I, what can I say? The, um, the savvy maybe to find a really kick-ass attorney that would kind of call him out. And I hated to do it. I really hated to do it, but I, I met with the attorney. I needed some advice. That was my initial uh, reason to meet with the attorney just to get some per perspective to know what was going on. Cause I, I, th I felt he was breaching our contract and I didn't, and he, he, he didn't want to, he didn't want to do anything about it. So the attorney finally said, well, you know, you have a choice. You can send him a letter from me or, you know, CC to me and tell him that he's breaching the contract and, and call him out on it. And unfortunately um, that ended that relationship. Well, unfortunately, you know, or not, I should say, because um, like most things in life, uh, some things don't last forever and they run their course and they're good for a while and they have no regrets. Uh, it was because of that partnership that I achieved an enormous amount of success. Uh, he was an amazing new business guy. So I have absolutely no regrets of, of being in that partnership with him. Uh, because it was because of that that, uh, you know, we were so successful. But I, uh, you know, as I suspected early on, at some point that was going to end. And, uh, you know, I just wish it didn't have to cost $90,000 in legal fees in 1991. Wow. Because, uh, our, was it 91? No, it was 93. So that, that $90,000 in 93 would probably be 150 right now in today's dollars. And it was unfortunate, you know, it was unfortunate because it didn't need to be that way. But, you know, that's why they're um, that's why they're attorneys, I guess. Definitely. And did you maintain the business after or did you go off on your own at that? Point? No, no. Um, I was kind of the odd man out. Uh, he, there was another creative director um, and uh, clearly they were a better match. Uh, it was kind of funny because one of my last conversations was with the, the new creative director that I ended up helping to bring in because he was an amazingly talented guy. And I sat down with him and uh, right before I left, I, I asked him if he trusted our business partner, you know, my soon to be ex business partner. And he looked at me and he said a couple of things I'll never forget. Uh, one thing he said, I don't trust anyone, but I trust him less oh, wow. <laughs> than anyone. So, I mean, I, that's, that's not exactly correct English, but I knew what he meant. I don't trust anyone, but I trust him less. Uh, and then the second thing he said to me was, he said, do you think he's taking money you know, out of the business, you know, on the side? And the, the guy had only been working with us a relatively short time, yet he felt uncomfortable enough about this guy to ask me my opinion about that, whether or not he thought this guy was skimming money out of the business, uh, to which I replied, well, I have no reason to believe that. Why do you ask? And his response, again, I still can't believe what he said. He said, well, I don't know if he is uh, – either but it wouldn't surprise me if he is and if he's taking 10 percent more 
you know, we're supposed to be 50-50. When you leave, it's going to be 50-50 between me and him. And if he's taking it an extra 10%, which wouldn't surprise me, he said, I could live with that. Wow. And I'm thinking these guys are definitely meant for one another because if I suspected that he was taking $1 more than me, I would have a problem with that if our agreement was 50-50 and he was taking 51% out of the money. That would be a problem for me because that's not what we agreed to. And yet this guy was willing to take 40% or you know, uh, 45% to this guy's 55%. He felt that he could live with that. So I just, I couldn't believe that he would be, first of all, that he, he was, you know, he, he, Felt also felt distrustful with this guy, but was willing to go into a, to business with someone that uh, he felt could possibly be taking, you know, 10% more out of business than, than he should be getting. So I said, good luck. Wow. <laughs> That's craziness. And right they're there. still, they're still, they're still together. So obviously, you know, uh, listen, you know, some, some people could live in a, in a marriage where the partner's screwing around and they're okay with it, you know? That's true. It's a true statement. So we have a lot of veterans that listen to this show and a lot of uh, first responders and such that want to start businesses or need help getting their business out there. What are some tips that you would give them to get their ad out there to the, to the masses? To get their what out to the masses? Their, their brand. Yeah. Like how would they advertise it to the masses now? Well, that all depends what their business is. I mean, the, the short answer is you got to use everything that's free and available. Start there. But, you know, everyone and their grandmother is promoting something on social media. So, so, and I mean it, you know, I mean, there, there's so many podcasts that have spawned up because of the pandemic. There's probably more grandparents on doing podcasts and YouTube channels than ever before. So I'm not joking about that. Um, so, I mean, it's very difficult for someone who's a entrepreneur, business owner, who, who doesn't have the training and experience in marketing to be really good at marketing their own business. It's just difficult. You know, uh, when, you, um, when you run a business, you have to find people to help run your business. You need a bookkeeper, right? You know, unless you have accounting degree, you shouldn't be doing your books. You should hire a bookkeeper or an accountant. Um, you should also, if you're in any kind of business, you should have some kind of a legal source to count on. Uh, you know, if you know a little bit of law, that's great. But you're not, in, you know, if you're going to be signing contracts or, or doing uh, uh, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars in, in business, you have to know how to protect yourself legally. So you, you need to uh, have a legal resource that you can trust. Well, the same is true with marketing. You know, it's kind of funny uh, simply because everyone is familiar with marketing. Everyone knows what marketing is. In essence, uh, suddenly everyone thinks that they're qualified to do it well. And very, very few uh, business owners, um, it's, it's a very... As simple as, as it may seem, in essence, uh, there's so many nooks and crannies and wrinkles of marketing. Um, and everyone is looking for the silver bullet. They all want to know, well, what, what should I do? The best thing they could do is find someone who's brilliant and pay them well to help you. 
that's really one of the best things. And the story I like to tell, Rich, is, um, I mean, when you think of the most successful company in the world, uh, certainly one of them is Apple. And uh, I'm a big fan of Apple. I own stock in Apple. I'm a big Steve Jobs fan, so I know a lot about it. And if anyone, if anyone knows anything about Steve Jobs, and even if, if they, 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 they know um, a fair amount of Steve jo about Steve Jobs, they may not know that as brilliant uh, as he is as, as being the marketing guy behind Apple, when he started his company with Steve Wozniak and officially um, uh, opened their business in 1976, he really didn't know much about marketing. And he realized that he was smart enough when he started his business to believe that he had a product that people really wanted and something he could grow and be successful. But he also realized that he didn't have the marketing knowledge and, and skill and experience that was really required to grow his business. So he looked around and he found uh, try, found the person that he thought was the smartest marketing person to help him uh, and hired a guy named Regis McKenna in 1976, who was basically an advertising guy, but also did marketing consulting on the side and hired Regis uh, to basically uh, create the, the, the marketing foundation for Apple. And I think they worked together for seven or eight years. Uh, Regis and his team were the ones that created the Apple logo and did, did all that foundational branding for Apple that really be, helped Apple become the amazing uh, business, marketing-driven business that it is today. So I think there's no better case study uh, than referring to Steve Jobs when he was 21 years old, right? He didn't, there wasn't a lot of money. I think they had some, some initial investment in Apple, but it was a startup. And he just realized that if he was gonna uh, do it right, he really had to find the best marketing person and invest in them to uh, to do get, create the foundation to, to build this company because he knew that as great a product as he felt he had, he also was smart enough to know that if he didn't really do the marketing really, really well, it wouldn't matter how great his product was because no one would know about it. Definitely. And uh, I've been around the world and see his products everywhere, every corner of the world I've been in. So I know his uh, his idea back when he was just a young guy at 21 years old to get someone else to do the work and design that for him. It worked and the whole world knows what Apple is now. And that's a testament to that effort right there. So that's great advice right there. So I, I know a lot of business owners say, well, I don't have the money. And, you know, maybe you can hire someone just for, you know, a couple of hours. I mean, one of the things that I started that I, I, I want to mention uh, for your listeners out there. Um, you know, you, you said I'm, I'm impressed by the fact that you've been podcasting since 2010, right? No, the Misfit Nation has been around since 2010. The podcast since 2020. OK, but you started podcasting in 2010, right? 2020. Oh, 2020. Oh, OK. Yes. Um, where did I read 2010? That's when the Misfits came together. Oh, when the Misfits came together. Okay, I thought you started podcasting. The reason I mentioned that is because um, I always paid attention to the evolving media landscape. And I started podcasting in 2006. 
Wow. I started uh, the marketing show with John Follis because I just thought it was a really cool thing to do. And I did it for seven years. And one of the other things um, I did right around that time, actually a couple of years earlier in 2004, when Skype became a thing, uh, for your listeners who may not know, Skype preceded Zoom. It was the same idea, online uh, connection. Um, I started a, a marketing con- online marketing consulting model called Follis Marketing Therapy. And I've been doing it ever since 2004, where I have conversations, one-on-one conversations like this with business owners. And um, many, many other people do the same thing. It's not a new concept. Back in 2004, it was a relatively new concept because Skype was pretty new at the time as well. But uh, I did it because I just felt there were so many uh, business owners, new business owners and entrepreneurs, and even people had been in business for a number of years who really desperately needed some marketing help. And I wanted to be able to um, offer that to them. So my point is that um, even if you can hire someone just for a couple of hours or a few hours of their their time just to uh, get things um, on the right track with your business, if you find someone that you feel you can trust, um, it, it, it's going to be a good investment in your business. That's sound advice. Both, uh, both parts are sound advice. And I hope uh, the Misfit Nation takes heed to that advice as they uh, go out in, the, in their ventures to open their own businesses and try to become worldwide successes, kind of like Steve Jobs did with Apple. Uh, uh, one more thing, John, how does someone get in contact with you now if they want to just pick sure. your brain? So um, I have a website um, that went up in 1996. I just gave it a facelift about a month ago uh, to make sure it works good on mobile devices. Um, And on that website, you can see all the information about the marketing therapy uh, consulting program that I just mentioned. Uh, And also a company I started in 2013 called Big Idea Video, which is um, kick-ass marketing videos, short, short uh, format, high concept, creative videos that capture people's attention. And the website is Follis, my last name, Follis, Inc., I-N-C.com. So if they go to Follis, which is F-O-L-L-I-S, as in Sam, I-N-C, Follis, Inc.com, that's where they could see all that information. Awesome. Thanks, John, again, for taking some of your time to share your story with the Misfit Nation. Thank you, Rich. Pleasure. All right. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com to catch up on all our episodes and also get some of that Misfit Nation gear I know you want. As always, stay humble, be hungry, and keep hustling because we are Misfit Nation.